If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast all in one place. They have tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. So download the Anchor app on Apple or Android or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Now back to the good part. back to the Boundary Corner Podcast. I am Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Sigla, and buddy, we have a big guest on with us tonight. Owner, creator of Pick 6 Previews, Brett Cianci is with us tonight. Brett, how are you doing? Hey, Brian Curtis. Thanks for having me on again. We had a great preview chat last time, uh, last summer, and I love the intro there. I, I was ready for Enter Sandman to start uh, pumping through the speakers here, but... Um, <laughs> Uh, if, no, if, it's great to be back talking Virginia Tech with you guys and a very passionate fan base. So, um, and going through a big coaching transition, I, I had a chance to talk with Brent Pry, and we'll get into that in the Virginia Tech portion of the show. But excited to be back! Awesome, yeah, man. Uh, if we if we did Sandman, we might be getting a like a, a season desist from Metallica. So we didn't go that. That's our buddy Jason who lives down in Roanoke, right near Virginia Tech, does all our music for us. But you know, it's awesome that you got to hear or talk to talk to pry and let's go ahead and kick it off man you know brent pry has had a ton of success as a defensive coordinator both at vanderbilt at penn state and when you're dealing with the team with a brand new head coach how do you take into account a first-time head coach that has done as much as he did you know multiple top 10 defenses every stop he's been at the defense first year improved significantly how do you look at that when you're doing this sort of uh preview yeah, well, coaching changes are, are one of the most fascinating part of the offseason. Uh, in fact, this was one of the biggest coaching carousels ever. And it's my 11th year doing pick six previews, by far the most coaching transition we saw uh, this offseason. And uh, yeah, Brent Pry, I had a chance to speak with him, like you said. Um, really likable guy on the phone. Um, you know, talked about the importance of getting back to recruiting in state and seeing how that slipped off the last couple of years under the last staff. But, you know, bringing back that Virginia core of the roster. Um, but then also, to, your, to answer your question, what's important about a new coach, uh, a new coaching hire? His hires, his coordinator hires are crucial. And um, looking at offense, it's almost like he got a two-for-one deal, uh, bringing in Bowen there, and then uh, also Joe Rudolph, um, the, the uh, offensive line coach from Wisconsin. That's a, a great double, you know, double whammy there. So uh, love the, the hires on offense. And he has a proven track record on defense himself, uh, leading consecutive top 10 defenses at Penn State. Uh, they've been pretty much a staple and, you know, defensively the last five years under him. And um, so I think you're going to see more of that aggressive attacking style of play come to Virginia Tech. Uh, he'll figure out that side of the ball with, with Chris Marv, a former player of his. 
and then hand the keys over to the offense to these experienced guys. Uh, one, you know, Bones a little bit younger, but uh, Rudolph knows, uh, you know, offensive line play more than anybody. So uh, I like yeah. the hires he's made. Yeah, and, and Bowen's obviously, you know, had had some quasi play calling uh, responsibilities under a couple other uh, big names there as well. So you got to feel pretty confident about that. Um, let's let's take a look at that offense though. While we're talking about Tyler Bowen, um, kind of a similar question to the Pry one. Um, we've got a uh, portal transfer uh, quarterback in Grant Wells coming in. Um, with experience, pretty good amount of experience, um, but that experience came with a with a different team and in a weaker conference. How do you really weigh that when you're looking at um, you know that versus what the team did last season with a completely different quarterback that's no longer with us in a completely different offense? Yeah, so it's going to be a, definitely a quarterback battle there. Grant Wells and Jason Brown, uh, both guys. At FCS, or well not FCS, uh, non-Power 5 experience with Wells from Marshall and um, and Jason Brown, FCS All-American back in 19. Led South Carolina to two big upsets, though, uh, against SEC foes last year. So uh, some game experience. But I think the bigger theme for the offense really is just an overall transition year. You look at all the personnel gone. Uh, you're talking about quarterback gone, lead running back gone, the top two receivers, the tight end, and three NFL linemen, too. And that's that's my one of my biggest concerns there. Um, I know that Rudolph is an excellent offensive line coach. I think it might take more than one fall camp to really get that together. But, um, yeah, to answer your question there, quarterback, yeah, it's wide open. But uh, this is the quarterback conference, guys, this year. I, I cover all five Power Five leagues. And um, this quarterback, uh, the ACC's quarterbacks are loaded. And it, it was really hard to whittle it down to just two guys for the all-conference team, let alone I could make the argument for seven guys. So uh, yeah. when you're compared against this conference this year, it's, it's a tough spot. Absolutely. Um, and, 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 you know, the good thing about it, like you said, it, it, at least, yes, we did lose Braxton Burmeister. He transferred out to San Diego State. But having Wells and having Brown, both with a lot of experience at one of the most crucial positions is definitely key. And let's talk about the offensive side of the ball on that. You You go through this data, you look, what area of the offense needs to improve for the Hokies to go from that six and six, six and seven, middle of the road type team to a more productive offense? I think that the key stat here would be uh, the pass protection, the sacks per attempt number I have in there, sack rate. Uh, they, they graded outside the top 100 last year, 107. Mm-hmm. And, and that was with, like I said, three NFLers. And that was a, a talented line individually they, they were great in run push but a pass protection uh, and you lose brock hoffman uh, smith tenuta i mean they're all gone to the pros so uh you're rebuilding that offensive line already from a low starting point pass protection so that, that's where i started at um surprisingly I, I kind of shocking when i saw it but they were top 20 in, in my explosive passing metric hitting on some home runs there um, but again losing your top two receivers hurts Virginia Tech has really been hit by the transfer portal, specifically the receiver room. It seems like the last couple of years I've been covering this. Um, so, yeah, uh, but overall I'd say sack rate is the number one target. Well, let me, let me get a follow-up question real split on the explosive plays because looking at the data, explosive plays was great, right? But every other pass metric was just atrocious. When you're doing these and you some, see something like that, like, like, do you have to do double takes where it's like this team's explosive pass is top 20 and then you start looking and like, how are they 
over under a hundred everywhere else. Like how how does that go into your kind of calculations about where you're ranking a team? Yeah, I, I try and look at everything, and um, you know it's a pretty extensive process when I'm previewing teams. I'm watching spring games. I I, I read through all the game reports from last season. Um, talking to coaches, coordinators, beat writers, you know, listening to local shows. Um, so I try and look at everything. Yeah, there are some weird ones that come up like that. I mean, maybe that was just a home run offense, you know, a strikeout or a home run. Maybe you hit on uh, a good chunk of long yardage plays, but the per play, uh, and, you know, and the efficiency were down. So um, of all the metrics there, explosive passing, you know, I think the, the more important one is that QB rating. That's kind of all encompassing. It, it takes everything into account and Virginia Tech was uh, 82nd there, so um, yeah, it's a lot, a lot of data to crunch through. Yeah, that definitely tells a story. Um, do you look at things like offensive drive efficiency or any of those kind of advanced metrics? Uh, not so much the drive efficiency. Um, I like the per play stuff, and uh, I also like um, my offense and defense percentiles. It takes it a little bit further. It, it grades it against the opponent's strength and what they've been averaging, and factors in a couple of my other. Uh, metrics there. So I don't really do the drive numbers that you see elsewhere. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of just gear towards what makes sense to me and, and what has worked in my formulas. And um, yeah, I like the per play stuff. And when you look at it there at the bottom of the Virginia tech offense page, uh, it, it fell off a cliff last year offensively. So um, yeah. hoping to turn that around for you guys. hundred percent. And I love what you say that you look at the comparisons of the team they're playing against. So if they're playing against a bad defense and they blow up offensively, I'm sure you're like, well, they should have. If they're playing a bad defense and struggle offensively, you're like, okay, there's some problems there. Um, let, let me ask this. We talked about the offense. Let's talk about the defense. The defense, looking at your magazine, a lot of yellow, which is not terrible, but not great. What do they have to improve on this year to uh, have a successful season under Brent Pry? And from talking with Coach Pry, knowing his past records, what do you think they will improve? Yeah, well, you talk about the stat box there. It's a lot of yellow. There is one green line that's key for this next year, and that's returning production. Virginia Tech, top 25 in returning production on defense, uh, and that's usually a clear indicator year over year, a pointer towards improvement. Um, so he has a lot of experienced players coming back. Um, the linebacker duo, Dax Hollyfield, Alan Tisdale, a really strong duo there. Um, a couple all-conference contenders in the, in the secondary so to answer your question of what the weakness or the point of emphasis should be is that that run defense and the defensive line, uh, you know, that's uh, they were outside. The, they were below average in all my rushing defense metrics last year. And, um, you know, you got to fortify that center of the defense. So, um, like I said, linebackers look strong and experienced. Same with the defensive backs. There's some upside there. Defensive line looks like the question mark. Yeah, I think that that's what we're concerned about as well when we're looking at this defense um, and not just from top end talent and, and ability there, but also looking kind of down the depth chart and, and not seeing a whole lot of experienced talent in that group. So uh, defensive line, definitely a concern for us, um, especially, as you said, on that that run stopping portion, um, because there's only so much with an attacking style defense that that you can do against the run. It's obviously going to put the quarterback is going to have to get rid of the ball a lot quicker if you bring in a lot of pressure, but there's only so much you can do on the run game from a scheme standpoint. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what Brent Pod dials up for that. Uh, let's go ahead and turn it over to uh, some of the opponents that the Hokies face. And we'll, we'll start with the, with the first uh, big opponent of the, of the season for the Hokies, uh, the Boston college Eagles. 
Um, let's start it here, though. Let's say uh, we got Jerkovic. He's returning. Uh, you know, if he can return to form this season, um, can they be better than they were predicted to be last season before he lost so much time? Well, tricky question there because you got to look back to where they were projected last year, and they were actually projected second or third uh, in the Atlantic Division, which sounds hard to believe looking back on it. But optimism was running very high for Boston College this time last year. It was supposed to be the best offensive line that they've ever had, the best receiver core they've ever had, and Phil Jerkovic was ready to take that next step towards all-conference, and really none of it clicked. Uh, of course, he went down to injury three games in, and uh, the, the offense fell off a cliff right away. Um, you know, when he was not in the lineup, they were second worst in America, uh, or I should say in power five. Um, so it's huge getting him back. But the problem now is that that great offensive line they were supposed to have, they're all in the pros now. Uh, it's an entire rebuild up front. The lone starter coming back, Christian Mahogany, he could have pushed for, uh, for all conference. He got injured in, uh, in spring ball, so he's out. So, yeah, a complete rebuild on the offensive line. And when you look back on some of their, uh, you know, some of their games and their scores and their uh, their grades that I have in there, my game grader, they placed pretty poorly last year. So I have them down all the way in sixth place in the Atlantic. Yeah, last year it was. It was a big talk of BC potentially being that team that could challenge Clemson with Phil. And like you said, that offensive line, it's a rebuild. And, and it feels like BC every few years, they they do rebuild the offensive line. But they're, they're you know, the reduction of returning is not as much. And on the defensive side of the ball, they're returning a little bit more. They're, you know, second year under Halfley, who is a defensive guy. <clears throat> but is the defensive line their biggest question mark heading into 2022 on that side of the ball? Yeah, it's probably a similar answer to what I just gave for Virginia Tech. Um, you know, the, the experience and the star power on Boston College defense comes in the secondary and the linebacker room. And um, especially that secondary they were, uh, it's hard to believe, but they were number three in the country in pass yards per game allowed. Um, pass defense was strong. And uh, the headliner there is, um, uh, who is that? It's uh, Jaden Woodby, who was a former Florida State blue chip recruit that Halfley flipped, brought him up to Boston College. And uh, he's been excellent out there. So uh, strong secondary, uh, improving linebacker core, but defensive line is probably the weakness. And then that, that, their rushing stats show it. So, yep. Yeah, that's what we had identified as well. Just looking at, at your work and looking looking around, it looks like they're going to be pretty thin on that defensive line in terms of returning production and just strength overall. Let's turn yeah. it over to UVA. Um, UVA, yeah, they, they got a great wide receiver room, great quarterback. Uh, looks like they're going to have an improved running back room heading into 2022. Um, but will this team be able to overcome the mass exodus that they had on that offensive line? Yeah, that's, that's a problem for them um, in, a, in a transition year to lose the entire front. Uh, four linemen transferring out, and, and a couple of them were all ACC honors. Um, uh, so that, there's some big shoes to fill there. Um, and, uh, yeah, and you wonder if that's going to hamper the, the progress of Brennan Armstrong. He was a do-it-all machine last year, put up incredible stats. The offense was humming. Um, but really the, the, the problems were the defense, and um, I don't see an overnight fix there. They have some of the fewest returning production in America. It's a, it's a coaching transition year, um, and while I do like the, the, the higher Rudzinski, uh, definite transition. It, it has transition year written all over it, so um, they're going to need to outscore teams. They certainly can with Armstrong, but he's going to need protection. Um, that receiver core is one of the best in the conference, though, and uh, all that firepower is back again. Don't forget, they get, they get back Lavelle Davis, who was a great freshman there two years ago, 
was out last year and, and returns to the lineup. So a lot of firepower on offense. Yeah, their biggest question there is definitely that O-line. And we saw at the end of last year, it was it, it had a couple good players, but overall they were beat up. And, you know, you could break through and not give Armstrong the time to make those passes. And it, to me, if that doesn't improve, I mean, they look like, again, maybe a five to seven win team with all that offensive power, all firepower. You know, you just mentioned there, you know, Tony Elliott hired John Rosinski as a defensive coordinator. A lot of success at Air Force, um, you know, with with the uh, with the military school there. But their secondary has been absolutely horrible the last few years, which is shocking under Bronco Mendenhall, being a defensive guy, having a track record. So can Rosinski get their pass rush enough to really cover up that weak secondary, or is it going to be another long year for them on the defensive side of the ball? Yeah, well, first off, I like the hire, like I hit on. Um, and, and obviously, Coach Elliott did too. Uh, he said they crossed paths at the coaching clinic. And, um, you know, he, he, was, he found it appealing that Rudzinski had success recruiting within some tough confines. I mean, I know it's a loose comparison, but the military uh, credentials to get into the Air Force compared to the high academics of UVA, he made that comparison. Um, so take that with a grain of salt. But it looks like a good fit. Um, you know, Virginia experimented with a th- uh, three-man base last year and it really backfired. And that's really been Rodzinski's uh, bread and butters, his 3-4 base. So uh, we'll see if he has a better chance at, uh, at re- rebuilding it. Last year it was a disaster, and, um, and, and you lose a lot of star players. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't see any overnight fix. Um, longer term looks okay, but that's, that's kind of why I have Virginia outside the top three. Um, I had them tied, actually, with, with Virginia Tech, fourth in the Coastal. Um, behind Miami, Pitt, and UNC. Yeah, that's going to be a big head-to-head. <laughs> yes, especially after the field storming last year on, on opponent turf. So um, that's just great for the rivalry. But, uh, Lane yeah. Stadium North. Lane yeah. Stadium North, Brett. Just always remember that. <laughs> yeah, that was incredible to see. And that, that actually wasn't the only one I saw out in the Apple Cup. Uh, Washington State fans stormed uh, Husky Stadium, Husky Field, or whatever they call it, uh, at yeah. UW, and planted a flag there. So it's a new trend I'm seeing, opposing field stormings. Exactly. All right. Well, let's take a look at probably a field storming that will never happen at either location is when Virginia Tech plays West Virginia for the Black Diamond Trophy. One of the most heated rivalries in the 90s and early 2000s came back in 2017. They now play a home and home last year in Morgantown where the Hokies came up inches short from taking out a dub. But a lot's changing up there, Neil Brown, his third year. And the biggest is on the offensive side of the football. He is going air raid with Graham Harrell. Hale recruited the guy he was coaching out at USC, JT Daniels, gets him, picks him up out of Georgia. You know, they've seen some blue-chip quarterbacks, and Harrell himself has seen some blue-chip quarterbacks. Is the air raid system going to be enough of a difference to improve this offense um, than what they've looked like the past few years, which has just been kind of – Man, yeah, it's been a really weak offense. They've been defense first under Neil Brown, and it's kind of hard to believe given his his offensive background. He used to call it his NASCAR offense uh, of how fast they were in between snaps, running to the line. None of that even uh, they, they didn't come close to that at West Virginia so far. So a uh, complete overhaul schematically. Um, we saw Graham Harrell turn around USC overnight, um, a, a program out there that was known as Tailback U for generations. And he comes in and says, no, no more tailback. We're, we're going five wide, throwing it all over the field. Uh, they put up great numbers. So he's turned around an offense before um, coming in here. Yeah. You bring in a former five-star arm. That's, it's rare to pull off like that. And 
Um, yeah, I think the JT Daniels will have some success here. Um, yeah, he was, I thought he was fine at Georgia too, but you know, it's going to be hard to overtake Stetson Bennett. So he, he wanted to try a new power five opportunity. The, the problem I don't think will be the offense. It's this huge transition that they have on defense. Basically the entire unit's gone except for stills in the middle. Who's, who's a great talent himself, but a complete rebuild on defense. So it looks like their, their strengths kind of flipped this time around. Yeah. And, uh, Flipping to the other side of the ball, they, they kind of look like our wide receiver room. They had a mass exodus to the transfer portal uh, from from that side, and um, they were solid if sometimes in, inconsistent in 2021. Um, they did return their best defender, though, Dante Stills. Um, does this team still have enough talent on that side of the ball and downstream in, in the two and three deep to really fill those holes that the portal created? I don't think so, to be honest. I mean, first off, you look at who they brought in, and this wasn't anywhere near a top 10 transfer class or anything like that. So it was all one way. It was, uh, it was out the front door exiting the program. Um, and, and these guys weren't transferring down. They weren't guys that went to the FCS level. I mean, most of these guys were plucked off by other Power 5 defenses. Um, now, Daryl Porter and Mesador both uh, to Miami. Um, who else? You got a guy going to Colorado. Jackie Matthews down to Mississippi State. And don't forget that this time last year, their best defender on the team, Tyke Smith, was uh, snatched away by Georgia. So uh, it's a talent drain on defense. Uh, no real big transfers coming in as a class. And then you look back to the recruiting profile, and it's outside the top 40. So um, I don't see any reason why that'll be an overnight fix for them. All right. The one thing I love about you, Brett, is you admit when you're wrong. Reading the, the magazine, I opened it up, and you immediately said, I was completely wrong on UNC last year. Many yep. people do not do that. I respect the hell out of you because you opened up one of the first few pages, you admitted it. Now, this year, UNC has one of the worst production returns after the loss of Howell and Ty Chandler, the 1,000-yard running back, the good pass catcher. And Josh Downs is really their only proven offensive weapon. They do have some line returning. But, I mean, is this team going to be able to reload with the unproven depth, or do they look again like last year, a, a six-win team? Yeah, well, uh, that's a great point talking about last year's pick. And, um, you know, it's a point of pride to have the most accurate magazine. I have the five-year title, so I do like to, t to celebrate the wins. But, like you said, you got to acknowledge the losses. And, uh, make no doubt about it. The UNC pick last year was the worst pick I've ever done in 10 years. I mean, it's just it, nothing came true. They were a completely different team than what we saw the year before. And um, yeah, it was a total miss. So here we are in 2022. Uh, it's a program that hasn't proven it yet. And uh, I don't see why they will. It, it, I can't, I can't take them high again until they go out and prove it themselves. And, you know, Sam Howell gone at quarterback, you know, some offensive linemen are gone, but that offensive line themselves, it, it was pretty weak last year. Pass protection, was weak. Um, what else we got? Yeah. So, I mean, they have a great recruiting profile. You're just waiting for that to click and it just hasn't yet. So, um, you know, it, it's a matter of time. You'd say, I, I like their change. I uh, bring in G uh, Gene Chizik on defense, getting some aggressiveness, some attacking style on defense. They were too finesse under Bateman. So maybe that triggers a, you know, a, a switch here, but uh, for now I have them third in the Atlantic or third in the coastal, I should say, sorry. And uh, 40th overall. Yeah, and that's that's my question on defense. You know, you got Chiswick coming in, obviously Bateman. That 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 defense just couldn't get going last year. Um, but you know, talking about that returning production, and everything is this the success for this team really going to depend on how much better that defense is this year? 
Yeah, defense is huge, but really just the overall program mindset. I mean, when you listen to Mac Brown speak, he was saying how the team was way too overconfident back in last August and last uh, September. They were reading their own press clippings, he says. And uh, of all teams, Virginia Tech punched them right in the mouth right away. And uh, and that was even that wasn't even Saturday. They didn't even make it to the opening day. It was Thursday <laughs> night, uh, and that that pick was thrown out the window right away. But um, but no, I think that you saw it all season. They were quitting during plays, quitting during games. Um, so I think this goes deeper than just Mexes and O's. They got to have a, a whole culture rebuild uh, within that locker. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. Let's go ahead and flip it from UNC to the team that won the ACC last year, the Pitt Panthers. How much higher would Pitt's returning production be if Addison did not leave? And let's also add this in there. Is he the bigger loss or is there uh offensive coordinator Whipple that, that, that left? Oh, okay. That's great questions. Um, I think that Addison's a bigger loss uh, in the immediate term. I mean, that was a, a playmaker, a do-it-all guy, a Blitnikoff winner for, for heck's sake. So, um, yeah, so losing him in the fashion that he left, very bizarre. But, um, yeah, that certainly hurts because with him coming back, this, this offense was looking perfect um, besides a quarterback. And you brought in a Power 5 experience guy, Keaton Slovis. It looked like all five offensive linemen were back and, and that this offense wasn't going to miss a step. But – uh, now, you know, how, how big a difference a guy makes. You look back, now you can argue, okay, the Heisman candidate's gone, the Blitnikoff winner's gone, and the mastermind behind the thing, Mark Whipple's gone. So um, that shifts more towards a transition year, in my opinion. And, um, you know, very physical team. Their strength is really the defense. I talked to opposing coaches in the, in the Atlantic Division and Coastal Division, and they all mentioned Pitt's physicality. And you see it, especially that defensive line, um, so that'll carry him again. I, I think they're still a solid top 20 team, but questions on offense now. Yeah, and you kind of answer it there about the level of success for 20 or 21, how much their defense is going to have to stay, especially their pass defense, because Narduzzi's known as a defensive mind, and he is a very good defensive coach. We hate him down in Blacksburg. Um, and there's Dwight Vick, Virginia Tech legend, chiming in about – they should be solid. But to get back to that, let's say nine, 10 wins. How big of a step does that pass defense have to take? Because if it's only mediocre, are they back to where they were at like 2019, 2018, win seven or eight games and just not looking as good? Well, that's a great question. I think uh, when you look at Pat Narduzzi's track record as a defensive coordinator and now a defensive minded head coach, uh, his defenses are always the same. They're always attacking. They're always leading the league and leading the conference. Or I'm sorry, placing in the national top 10 even in uh, tackles for loss, sacks, my negative play metric, loves them. And, um, and you see it. But the, on the other side of the coin there, by bringing so much resources in the blitz, um, they're overexposed in the pass game uh, in the secondary. So you see more long yardage breakdowns if they don't hit home on their sack. So um, all that to say, this defensive line is strong again. Uh, Cansey earned All-American honors last year. He's back, and um, the linebacker group does lose a couple multi-year starters. But, again, uh, such a proven track record under this staff. Charlie Partridge, one of the best coaches there um, on the defensive line. And I really trust uh, the Pitt rebuilds. And one, one note to leave you with with Pitt is that over the last three years, in my defensive percentile average, they're fourth in the nation, only behind Alabama, Georgia, Clemson. It pits right there number four. So, um, yeah, the secondary might have some problems, but overall as a defense, they're, they're a proven commodity. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's every year he proves it. Um, you know, we've gotten a couple, we've gotten him a couple of times and, and when you get him, he is, it's actually a, a fun sideline show to watch because he gets really angry when his team's getting beaten, <laughs> especially on the defensive side of the ball. All right. I'm going to flip this because we got a few more minutes with you here. You've got NC State, Clemson, and Miami as your three highest ranked ACC teams. Could any of those teams crack the playoffs, in your opinion, if things break the right way? Well, yeah, I mean, of course, anybody can break it. Here's, here's what's got to happen. You've got to win the conference with one loss. So you got to come out of there 12-1 and one, or 13-0, obviously, but 12-1. and one, pretty much cements you a ticket to the playoff. And you saw with Pitt last year, a surprise team out of nowhere. They would go win the Coastal, and uh, they win the conference, but they're sitting there with that second loss. That, that Mac loss at the beginning of the season really cost them. Um, yeah. Had they have just taken care of business against the Mac team, they'd be 12-1 and one and undoubtedly in the playoff last year. So, um, so yeah, it, the, the question really is, can somebody go 12-1 and one in this league? And I think it's a really crowded conference now, you know, especially the Atlantic is loaded at the top. It was really a tough exercise trying to parse that out, the top five over there. I mean, Clemson's the proven commodity, the proven dynasty. NC State looks like it's their best team in school history, especially defensively, and a quarterback with Devin Leary. So a lot of high upside there. Um, Wake Forest, they continue to win games. They're the defending Atlantic champs. But then teams like Florida State and Louisville, I have skyrocketing in the right direction. Florida State led by the defense, Louisville by their offense. If they can get some complimentary play from their other sides of the balls, um, that's, that's a lot of, uh, quality teams in the ACC. So long story short, I think they're going to beat each other up at the top. You're going to have a two or three loss champ and that, that shouldn't be a knock on the conference. I think it's stronger than it was a year ago. Um, and is trending in the right direction. Um, albeit maybe not a playoff contender this year. Yep. Let me get one quick follow-up on that. So you talked about Clemson being the established team. If they're going to be the team that sits as conference champion at the end of the year, is it all going to revolve around, how good DJU plays this year. Absolutely. And, but he needs some help too. I mean, uh, last year the receiver core was banged up and it fell down to a lot of true freshmen and redshirt freshmen. And uh, they just couldn't produce. And then the offensive line, the offensive line had been a staple for them, usually finishing number one in the country in yards per carry all those ETN seasons. They were always number one that took a step back. So nothing was really clicking at all. They were stuck in the mud. And then yes, of course, DJU is, is, is under center and, he, and he's the trigger man, but Everything else around him failed, too. And uh, Clemson's going through a double coordinator change, too, which is rare uh, for such a program of, of coordinator continuity. And, uh, and last bit on Clemson is that while the other powerhouse programs have embraced the transfer portal and, and used it to bring in all-conference caliber guys to patch up some roster holes, Clemson's really been anti-portal. So I wonder if that starts to catch up to them. And um, so I'm not confident that, that they return to the playoff. All right, we got a couple more minutes here, and I'm going to ask one national question, and then we're going to let you uh, get out of here and do some promo. I'm not going to count Utah. Utah's your number four team. Uh, Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, the three Blue Bloods, which of those three could you see miss the playoffs? You've looked at the data. You do see them as the th- three of the best teams in the country, but what, which one of them – is walking on thin ice where if they make one mistake or have one position get hurt, it could really um, basically end their chances to making it to the national championship. Yeah, that's a great question. I I think I'll I'll take the two SEC teams, just given the fact of how rare and hard it is to cram two teams from one league into the playoff Mm -hmm. bracket. 
Um, so they're both on thin ice. They don't have much margin of error. Um, of those two options, I'd say Georgia uh, is the, is, has a weaker link just on, uh, on their youth. And um, I know that's a, a boring answer, but they just sent an NFL record 15 draft picks. Um, and I think <laughs> yeah. it was the, mer- the most ever first-round offenders uh, and, and most offenders in the first three rounds also. So, and uh, the thing about Georgia, they do rotate their players a lot. So it might not be quote-unquote returning starters, but they're experienced. But still, I mean, when you're trying to fit, fit two SEC teams into a four-team bracket, uh, I, I'll say Georgia's the weak link there. Makes sense. Plus, can Stetson Bennett, an underrated quarterback, play like he did last year after he got the full-time starting job? Well, Brett, we know you have another show to go to. You are a busy man this week. Um, tell everybody where they can find the magazines, website, Twitter, Tell us where they can get the stuff because, guys, we, me and Brian already have it. You should go get it too. Oh, thanks for the promo there. I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for the purchases, the high praise, and, and again for having me on two years in a row. Uh, always enjoy our talks. Yeah, it's pick6previews.com and at pick6previews on Twitter. Uh, on the webpage there, I have a couple sample teams, sample pages, so you can see what we're talking about here, the layout of the pages, the level of depth I go into. It's a one-man show. It's, um, it's just me. I'm covering all 66 Power 5 teams, watching spring games, calling head coaches, calling coordinators, um, you know, running my numbers, but then putting it into a readable form. And, um, and, yeah, last thing on there, there's some testimonials too, the college game day guys, ACC Network guys. Um, so, yeah, go check it out, pick6previews.com. And, you know, after 10 years of digital only, this year finally a hard copy option. So the magazine is available. Uh, at purchase, you get – when you, when you buy the magazine, you also get the digital emailed immediately, so you're not waiting. So, uh, yeah, thanks again, guys. It's an exciting time of year. Everyone's undefeated, so I love talking football in there August. And um, the season will be here before we know it. Well, thanks for coming on with us, Brett. We appreciate it. Again, it, it's gonna we got to make this an annual thing because it's always a good time to, for you to come on and uh, share your knowledge with us, share your knowledge with our listeners. Really appreciate it. Oh, for it. sure. And i got to get back down to Blacksburg. Uh, I, I'd once been down there 2009. Uh, for the Nebraska game randomly, but um, I want to get back there now that I'm uh, of age to really enjoy it. You know what I'm saying? I was a little <laughs> young go. back then. There yeah. we go. Um, but uh, it looked like a great time and a beautiful campus and uh, and obviously the passionate fans. So it's been great interacting with so many of you online and uh, the Virginia Tech media at large. Uh, you know, you can tell you guys love your football. We appreciate that, Brett. You let us know if you come down to Blacksburg. We'll try our best to get down there as well. And we appreciate you coming on again this year. And, you know, we we look forward to having you back again in 2023 and and hopefully better terms for our Hokies. But, man, you do an awesome job. The magazine's awesome. You take care of yourself out there and uh, have a great one, man. Okay. Thanks, Brian and Curtis. Appreciate it. See you, man. Thank you. See you. Well, that was fun, man. Yeah, it was. We, we, we got to the end. We did not think we were going to get to talk the uh, three other teams with a little national picture, but we did it. And, guys, before we get into talking about some things from camp and a few other breaking stories today, we are going to take a quick pause for a message from our digital partners. As we take a quick break, we'd like to tell you about getting your free website report from our digital partner, Grassroots Digital Marketing Studio. They'll tell you how your website ranks on Google, on-site SEO, and social media. No commitment to buy anything. You can get your free report by visiting grassrootsdigitalstudio.com forward slash free dash website dash report. Now back to the episode. All righty. So, Brian, 
we weren't going to lead with this in the second half, but I mean, when it breaks like this, you got to talk about it. This afternoon, Triumph NIL, one of the lead ones for Virginia Tech, reports 28 additional football players on top of the four that we mentioned a couple weeks ago have signed with Triumphs, getting an investment of up to $300,000. So the young guys getting a little cash in the pocket. Yeah, yeah, we're we're uh, we're spreading the love a little bit here. I like that we're we're, we're getting uh, money into more players' hands on the active roster. Um, you know, whether you think this goes far enough or or whatever, yeah, I, I agree. There, there's other schools out there doing more, but you got to celebrate the wins when they come, and this is definitely a win, no matter how you slice it. Um, especially you know, spreading that out over 28 additional players. Um, shout out to uh, Brandon Hill and Kevin Jones, a part of that collective, putting these things together for these athletes. Um, n- nothing but good things going forward. Uh, and, and and this definitely puts us at least in the conversation like Brent Pry was talking about uh, with, with the NIL stuff. Absolutely. And if you take a look at the names, um, Andy Bitter put a good tweet out because the way he had it set up, you can definitely go on Triumph's website and read it. But if you look at the games, to me, the majority of these guys are proven. They've proven they can play. They're in the 2D. And and, isn't this the kind of the way it should be? I mean, it's not the way it's going to be, but the way it should be if you're a proven guy is when you get roughly, if you take a look, that's roughly $10,000. And I'm sure it's probably some guys are getting less, some guys are getting a little more. And obviously you got the top four guys, they're probably getting a really good penny. But there's not a name on here, Brian, that we don't know or haven't talked about. It's not like it's the six string guy. Like, how's he on there? Yeah, these are these are two deep guys. These these are guys exactly. that are seeing the field most games, if not every game. Uh, and and I think that that's where we are at this point. And I think that's probably good enough for now. Um, but we definitely need to to keep this this train moving. And the more investment, the better. And, you know, I, I've talked about it with some people at this point, you know, when, when I'm, you know, making a, uh, a donation to the Hokie scholarship fund, I'm going to also turn around and match that with one of the NIL collectors from now on. There you go. That's the way it's gotta be. You've gotta, you've gotta look both ways now. And obviously those guys are going to have investments. They're going to find people, you know, you take a look at Malachi Thomas, they found literally a it looked like a Ford dealership in his neck of the woods that wanted to sponsor him. And Malachi's driving a new Ranger up and down the road. Great for him. Awesome yeah. for that kid. So good things on that front. Um hopefully we'll see more from some of the other collectives out there. But Brian, well, first of all, if you see us look up, yes, this what'd you say earlier today, Brian? Uh, this is the, from now, from starting today, from now until the week of Valentine's Day, there's not a single week that doesn't have football. Not a single week. Football's back and camp is open for business as of Tuesday. Um, and it's it's just that time of year. I, I, out in the cul-de-sac tonight, man, we had some pizza with some neighbors, had a couple drinks, everybody shooting breeze and me and, you know, we're talking, season starting, you know, hey, we're going to get together on Thursday nights watching. Oh, yeah. So, 
it's 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 time. It's ready, man. But let's talk this. Let's start Brent Pry. Quick interview after uh, practice on Wednesday, and um, something that I that he was very upfront about. Day one, they had some issues about some some non competitiveness. Now, Brian, is this something that in your years of you know, you, you played collegiate football, you played high school football. Is this something that could happen on day one or is this kind of out of the ordinary? Um, I've said it before. I'll say it again. If a coach is satisfied with day one, whether it's effort, whether it's um, just the product on the field, that's a red flag. <laughs> that's a red flag because no, no team is out there winning day one. Um. Because you know, it, it's like I like the motto I always say is sometimes happy, never satisfied. That's the mindset you need to have as a coach. Sometimes happy, never satisfied. And if you're satisfied on day one, there's no way to go but down. So I think, you know, r- regardless of what the reality was, that's a good message to send to your team out the gate. Day one wasn't good enough, boys. Get out there and do better, compete more. We're not there yet. Absolutely. You, you, you love the messaging. And then he comes out day two and says it was better today. They were more competitive. They were more fighting. So, you know, as much as it was a message day one, there's also the praise there to make sure they, you know, you're getting in the right direction. Yep. Um, and again, we all feel it with Pry. He's very candid. You don't feel like he's holding anything back. And when he said this, I'm still trying to think, okay, were we that bad and now we're much better or are we legitimately taking, you know, the offense is making strides um, in the off season. I mean, what, I mean, that, that could mean a million things, right, Brian? It could. Um, I don't know if he's meaning relative to where the defense is. I mean, typically start a camp defenses are ahead of the offense. So the fact that the offense was out there doing anything, yeah, is is either indicative of, as Price said, some some lack of effort, some some lack of competitiveness from the defense, and it could also be that that offense has taken some strides that those that that installation has helped, that seeing some new plays that they didn't see in spring, or some 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 new formations, or or, or some new routes route concepts that they didn't see in spring might be throwing them off a little bit. It, you know, it could be a combination of all those things. So, um, But it, it's definitely a good sign that the offense is showing life so early in camp. It shows that the efforts that they made at the end of spring and, and, and in the summer workouts are paying some dividends because I know that they were talking about a lot of installation for the full offensive package was taking uh-huh. place after spring practice. You know, most of the base stuff was put in in spring, and then they started building on that as we went into the summer. Absolutely. So hopefully, again, there's just a lot of unknowns. And, you know, Brett talked about a few minutes ago, even though we did have guys get drafted on the offensive line, there are some guys coming back with experience, like a Johnny Jordan who did not get as much PT last year but was a third-team all-team Big Ten guy. Now, something that was brought up, and for me and you and other fans, you look at them and you say, why can't they play? You know, somebody asked Pry, and I can't remember which report it was. If I did, I'd give you the shout-out. Y'all know that. 
but he talked about guys physically ready like Xavier Chaplin, Lamar Law, and Malachi from here in the RVA. And Pry was just up front. Yeah, maybe four, six weeks they're ready, but he's like, right now they've got to adjust emotionally, socially, academically. And, you know, it, it's, it, it tells you that it's not just Malachi is six foot three and a half and he's 300 pounds. That, that's what I see is I'm looking at the NFL. That's the size of some of those guys. But how much important is that other stuff, Ron, for a young man getting to college and just getting on campus in probably the last four to six weeks? I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a big adjustment. And, um, you know, just being physically ready usually isn't enough. Um, you know, I don't think this is, oh, well, you know, he missed a block at practice, so all of a sudden he's in the doghouse for four to six weeks. This is more about the maturity on and off the field. This is more about understanding and adjusting to all these new things that most of these players are experiencing for the first time and making sure that they can handle all of that and football because being a collegiate football player is essentially like working two jobs. And and that, that, and that's a big thing. It's, it's a, you, you know, you wake up at seven o'clock or before every morning you're, you're doing everything you need to do. Usually sometimes six, if you're getting a film session in before class and that's running until, you know, eight, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock every, every night, you're, you're pretty much going nonstop, especially in camp. Once camp breaks, you got, you got classes obviously picking up there. So there's a lot of adjustments that, that these kids are kind of taking on and um, you know, just being physically there doesn't necessarily mean that you're ready to play. And, and that's not talking about the, you know, the social side and, and just learning the playbook. Um, you know, there, there's that, you got to find your place within the team where you fit in and you got to make sure that you understand the playbook. So when you get put in the game, you're not making that key mistake that, that blows up a play. Dude, I love you speaking to this man. Cause it, cause it says a lot. And like you, like you mentioned, those guys probably are physically ready to play, but they have to get there mentally. And I love you saying they've got to find their circle where they fit in. Socially, they've got to get adjusted, even though these next few weeks are going to be, they're not going to have a social life, but you've got to find a way on the team to fit in socially. So I love it. All right. So something I can't remember if we knew this or not. I didn't remember, but last year, the big heavy practice was in the morning. Well, Brent Pry don't do things like that. Brent Pry wants it in the afternoon and he wants his practices to be hot and hard. Are you shocked? Not shocked. And I love it. Um, oh, I know you would. <laughs> we, we uh, you know, we, we we talked about it before. Um, camp is where the where the hard stuff is. By the time you get to the first game, hell, even by the time you get to that last, um, that that last scrimmage of camp, that shit should be easy. Camp should be hard. Camp camp is meant to be hard. And if you want to get players used to hard, you play them at the hottest part of the day with the full pads on. And, and, and that, that's what I like to see. Obviously they're not in full pads yet. They're still out there in, 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 in shells, uh, in, in shells, but yeah, you know, they'll get there. And I like that it's in the afternoon. Um, I like, I like the hard, uh, I mean, I, I know I talk about it with, uh, with Curtis. I mean, you know, when we, when we were going through, you know, almost 20 years ago now, uh, you know, we you had three, three a day practices, three meetings a day. Um, 
we go shells in the morning, full pads in the afternoon, and then we'd have a helmets only walkthrough in the evening. Um, install in the morning, the afternoon, usually special teams emphasis in the third meeting. Um, so it, it was all day and it was a lot, but th- that's what camp is for. Absolutely. Now you've been talking about the insoles too. Um, and, and, and kind of the way it, Brent Pry talked about it is they have a morning, it's almost like they have a morning install, an afternoon install, and then they do night film reviews. When you look at the way that's set up, so it's install, install, hard practice, film review in the evening, which I'm guessing they probably get there, have breakfast, morning install, lunch at the facility, afternoon install, practice, dinner at the facility, then a film review, probably individual coaching. Do you like the way that's structured and and why? Yeah, I mean, it really goes back to kind of when you look at how people learn and things like that and, you know, coming from having a teacher as a, uh, as a wife, having kind of went through teacher prep myself, you, you, you teach a concept, you let the student apply the concept and then you correct. And that's what we're seeing with how they're setting this up. You, you teach, you teach in the morning and the early afternoon, you go out there at the, the heavy practice of the day at four o'clock and you apply and then you circle back in the evening after dinner and you correct. Probably looking at film because I'm assuming everything there is getting filmed where it can already be instructed. And then again, I'm guessing what happens the next morning. So they look at the film review. Do you think it's like, are they reiterating where the errors were in those morning installs and then slowly well, building? Well, the one thing after, after the film review individually with the players, when the players head back, uh, to the dorms for the night, the coaches are now getting together and they're saying, all right, who did what well today? What do we need to emphasize tomorrow? Is there a session in installation where we need to to kind of hammer a little bit more? Is there a, a session in practices where we need a little extra work? Like what, what do we see in practice? What do we see from the plays installed and how they were executed in practice that we need to really work on the next day? So there, there's some fluidity with how those sessions are run in practice and how those sessions are run in that install. That is awesome to hear, man. So again, and just hearing Brent Pry, you can just hear the emotion and the fun he's having in his voice. You could hear in the background. You could. It sounds like the players were having fun. I'm assuming they were doing ice baths and joking around after practice. You could hear oh, yeah. it in it. And I don't felt like we've seen that. So – Again, if the players are having fun, you know that they're you 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 let it all hang out when you have fun. It's just the way it goes. All right, something we're going to keep an eye on, obviously, over these next few weeks. Out there in camp, quarterback rep watch. Who's getting how much? Who's running with the ones? I think Brian right now after spring, <coughs> excuse me, after Brent Prize comments, you know, in the summer. This is really Grant Wells' job to lose. Yeah, that that's my feeling as well. And I don't think that there's a whole lot that – he would have to do a whole lot wrong to lose it at this point. I feel like there's not much that the others can do to pass him. It, it's going to be – if he's out there being inconsistent with the football, whether that's turnovers, whether that's overthrows, um, you know, whatever it may be, 
it's definitely something that he would need to lose, not something that I think he can be overtaken with a performance. Yeah, but I, but as much as you say that, I still love that Brent Pry's non-committal because he's leaving that carrot out there not only for Grant but for Jason Brown. And don't get me wrong, do I think Jason Brown could come in here and absolutely, if he plays like he did against Georgia or Auburn in practice, could he get up and get right at Grant Wells if Wells doesn't keep the pedal to the metal? Yes. I think that could happen very easily. Like like it, Brett said, he was an FCS All-American at St. Francis. He won a couple big games down at South Carolina last year. We're not dealing with the guy who's, you know, just a run-of-the-mill backup. The guy's a legitimate starter. And, you know, and I don't think – I think Wells knows it. So I don't think Wells is going to take the foot off the gas. But I think because he knows, I think Brown is trying to get that job. Yeah, I mean, Brown's definitely driving. And, I mean, it looks like from the observations from practice, you know, Brown's had some good throws, been pretty consistent. Um, there wasn't, at least in the sessions that were available to um, the writers and the media, um, anything significantly that jumped off that said Wells was ahead of, of Brown just on what was seen. Um, obviously there are other things that are factoring in there that either weren't seen during those sessions or, or, or things like that. But, you know, I think the non-committal thing is good for something like this because it's going to push Grant the next 10 to 14 days yep. to have his best practice every day. hundred percent, 100 percent on that. And I think over the next few weeks for us as fans, you know, Listen to what Brent Price says in those interviews. You know, come home every night. Give give so much credit to the media staff. That one that they interviewed at 4 o'clock was up by 6. Yep. And so was the Chamari Connor one. And, and David people, Cunningham was posting videos in real time. Andy was posting videos in real time. They were, yep. and, then, and then, so listen to what the players say. Listen to what the coaches say, what Price says. But then – with David Cunningham, Anna Bitter, Mike Nizolik, Barber, all these writers try to read them. They're getting info. They're seeing things on the ground. We've had David on this show. David's an awesome guy. Awesome we're having guy David follow. back on Tuesday. We are having David <laughs> back on Tuesday. Where we're gonna we're gonna not alone, not not, not, not alone. by himself. There, there, oh, there will buddy. this whole screen will be covered next Tuesday. I'm going to see how that looks. It's going to be <laughs> impressive to see. But see what they're saying. See what they're observing. That's how we're going to be seeing is Brown catching Wells, is Rels going ahead. All right, so wide receiver statuses. Um, I mean, Fontel Mines is becoming a star. Yeah. I mean, recruiting trail, tearing up Richmond. Brent Pride giving him the massive shout-outs about how his unit has developed over the summer, man. That is awesome to hear. Yeah, I mean, he, it seems like he's developing his players, and obviously he's already out there on the recruiting trail um, pulling in the most talent of, of any uh, position group coach this this offseason. So, I mean, that's that's big for him. Yeah. And, you know, he said that, you know, there's some talent that was untapped in this unit that that's starting to show. And – he said it was a unit that has to have a great camp. And I agree because we're going to need them to step up and not only take over the production of our two leading receivers from last year, yep. but also 
be a more consistent cog in the offense and not just be relying on that big play like Brett was talking about in the passing game. Yep, that's the big piece that you talk about there is having a great camp because I think we see it. I think we feel comfortable. Jaden Blue, Dwayne Lofton, Caleb Smith, they can play at a D1 level. They have to take their games up. But it's everything behind them. Because if you tell me they take a good step and fall, okay, that's good. Who are the other three guys that took that step? Because if they take a step up from where they are, if their three guys can get to the level of those three guys, then you're kind of sitting here saying, okay, we have some flexibility. Brian, I know it'll make you happy to know, all right, what sort of formations, which we're going to talk about in just a few minutes. But <laughs> this group must have a great camp. If they have a great camp, it's a good thing for us. Now, all right, Brian, this is yours, buddy. <laughs> Offensive line combos. Per Andy Bitter, um, let, let's start with first team. I don't think there's any shock there. Silas Danzi going left to right, left tackle. Jesse Hansen, left guard. Johnny Jordan at center. Caden Moore and Parker Clements. No shock, right? Not shocked at all. That That's the line that we've anticipated really since kind of Jump Street when we started talking about this season, right? So the guys who we thought were going to be there are there. Yeah, um, we'll see if there's any movement on that. But I don't. The, the only thing I, the only position I think there could be movement is at left guard. Potentially, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what that what, what shakes out there. But I think all the other spots are firm locks, and I think Jesse's probably got that pretty safe as well. But not, I wouldn't say it's 100. percent He's similar to the Brown Wells thing. He's got to keep his foot down, or somebody yeah. could take it. Speaking of the somebody, it could be one of the gentlemen from the second team. And let's start Bob Schick at left tackle, Braylon Moore. Holy God, the guy just got flipped in the spring to offensive line. He's already with the second team. Jack Hollyfield, Brian, that's your sixth, right? That That's who I think the sixth was coming into the spring when, when, when Brent Pry was talking about he's got six he feels good about. All right. Then- I, think, I think Jack Hollyfield was the sixth. He's put on some good weight. Um, he played pretty well during the spring game. He did. So All right, that's then, who I think he was talking about. Then Daniel Militech, the German at um at right guard. And there was a reason Notre Dame was trying to get Johnny Garrett to come OV. He's been on campus, he's already on the two deep at right tackle. Um so I mean that that itself is kind of a shock. And I mean, I think the Braylon's. If you told me Braylon was on third team, I wouldn't be shocked. Like, okay, that makes sense. But the way that kid's already come in and jumped up, it, there was a reason Joe Rudolph kept fighting, got him in that um, offensive line room. Yeah, yeah, that move was made right at the end of spring. Um, it seems to have taken pretty well. Um, that's Braylon Moore fighting for that left guard position is really the only thing I think is going to be um, questionable. Um, because if if he's as as good as advertised and can can pick up the offense and also you know he's he's where he needs to be physically then i think that there's potential there i think bob schick is holding a spot right now uh because he has experience playing yep. tackle um i think he's kind of the just the, the guy that's there as the emergency tackle to start the season 
Um, I think Johnny Garrett's your your example of a guy that they're trying to get him some reps right now because he's kind of switching positions, right? So he's 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 easing into that that tackle spot, and um, I think that's going to be good for him. He's he's got he's put some good weight on it seems. So I think he's he'll get his body ready for um, for the season, uh, and, and I think getting some extra reps is going to help that. Yeah. Now on the third team. Big Xavier Chaplin from uh, from down in South Carolina and Brody Meadows at guard, kind of the two names most known. The other three guys are walk-ons. Um, you know, they were talking about Johnny Dixon, who literally just enrolled, you know, a month ago, already snapping at center. Um, I think, you know, you look this year, it's still a worry spot, but wouldn't we know there are only two guys in the front two leaving? And then you start looking at Braylon and Jack and Johnny and Xavier and Brody and knowing Joe Rudolph is recruiting offensive line and teaching offensive line. Yep. You feel like in the short term, we're probably going to be better up front just because of Joe Rudolph. But in the long term, knowing some of these players, knowing their sizes, you looking at their tape, it's like, is it two or three? Is it a, next year or two years from now where there's not a defensive line in the country that wants to go against, you know, like an Xavier, Braylon, Jack, Caden, and Parker? <laughs> like, I, I don't really want to play them because I know it's going to be nasty. I mean, that's the hope, right? And I think when, when I'm looking at the third team and I see Xavier Chaplin sitting there at, at, uh, at left tackle, that's the future of our left tackle position, ladies and gentlemen. That's that's the guy that's probably going to be starting for the next, not not counting twenty three, three to four years. So, get ready for it. Uh, I, I see it happening sooner rather than later. I think if you look at the second team, if not by the end of the camp, by end of, you know, September, early October, you're going to see Chaplin in the two D at that at that tackle position. I think Bob Schick is there until Chaplin is ready. Um, I kind of alluded to that a little bit earlier. That That's kind of what I meant. I, I think that Chaplin is going to be the guy at the left tackle position, and I'm hoping that you know he, he's, he's up for the challenge because we, we need him because we are thin at that tackle position. Absolutely. All right. Brian, you saw – you mentioned on me – you mentioned on here and you saw David Cunningham's clip – the what was that combo drill they were doing that you saw? And I think it was Johnny Jordan. I thought I saw it was Johnny's number. I might be wrong, but w- is that something in Dick? I mean, we we have seen that last year, or is this more of where it's kind of we're we're moving to where we're going to do some power stuff? Uh, you would have seen it last year, but it's it's a little bit different. So um, you might see something like that on inside zone, um, but it, this is more of a true combo and not just. A, a zone block where you're, you, you know, you're passing the guy off uh, up to the next level. This is uh, truly a an actual combo at the point of attack, and so that's the drill they were working on. And I really like, um, you know, seeing some different concepts, a little little, little newer newer concepts for for the Hokies. Uh, really old concepts if we if we really think about it, creeping back into um, into our repertoire here. Night. Check that out. David Cunningham had that as a Twitter video yesterday. Pretty cool to see. Okay, I alluded to it earlier. 
Brian has been telling me what he hopes to see is formation alignment frequency. Brian, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, y'all y'all know I'm an offensive nerd here. I like to really dive into what an offense likes to do. And looking back at what we did when we had Robbie on, um, kind of looking at what we expect from, you know, play calling perspective, you know, just a play repertoire altogether, what, what type of formations we're looking at. What I want to see from some of these practices as we get, you know, peaks here and there uh, is the frequency of the formations that Bowen is using and how he is deploying the personnel within those formations. Because that's going to tell me, number one, are we looking like more what Joe Moorhead did? Are we looking at what more like what Ricky Ronnie does, which is very similar? Or are we looking at a little bit of hybrid of some of that stuff, but also some NFL concepts um, that, that he may have picked up um, during his time in Jacksonville? But I also want to see the the the, the frequency because I want to see where these players are lining up, whether it's, you know, blue in the slot, whether it's uh, lofting in the slot is blue outside at all is, uh, is uh, lofting outside at all. Are, are these guys getting kind of moved throughout the, um, you know, receiver line there or are they kind of locked in? All right. These guys are outside. These guys are slot and and there's not much uh, position uh, flexibility there. You know, how often are we lining up in trips? How often are we lining up in, um, you know, pro? How often are we lining up in uh, four wide? You know, I want to see these things and kind of get an idea of what this offense uh, is going to look like and how that ticks. Uh, We obviously know that there's going to be heavy tight end usage, and that's not just because Tyler Bowen is the, uh, the, the, the tight end coach and the play caller but that's kind of indicative of the Joe Moorhead style, right? The the tight end gets a lot of involvement. There's going to be that, you know, flat to wheel concept that we, we uh, I forget who it was, wrote an article about that, um, that was talking uh, about the four. Was it Brendan over? Might've been, um, might've been, might've been French. Might've been French. Yeah, okay. The key play. Yeah. All right. Awesome. All yeah, right. So I want to see you, things you, like that. Obviously French is, if, if you guys haven't checked that out, go check that out. That's a really good, um, write up of kind of what to expect from this offense. And he, he, he always does a good job breaking down tape. Yes, so. he does. Yes, he does. You mentioned the NFL. He was under Daryl Bevel while with, um, while with Jacksonville. So you kind of go back and think where's Bevel's most successful years. It was over in Seattle with Marshawn, with Russell. So if you see some power elements some boots, some things like that, Go back and look at some of those Seahawks games. Look at those concepts. All right. They had a, uh, a a tall, athletic tight end as well. Yes, they did. <laughs> All right. That was used a lot in the red zone. I've... Yes, he was. All right. <laughs> so, Brian, something we had talked about a couple times was, okay, who's going to be the Sam? Is it going to be a rotation? I don't think it's going to be a rotation anymore. Uh, not if things are holding like he was talking about at the at the uh, after practice presser. Uh, probably loves Keonta Jenkins. Loves him. Um, he loves what he's doing on the field. Um, he likes that uh, the, the the defensive back qualities that he's bringing to that position. Um, he likes that he's picking up things uh, very quickly, and he likes the improvement he's made as far as playing more in the box. 
Yeah, those linebacker traits is what he said. He's got he's learning those traits. Yeah. Um, and you know when 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 you say that that immediately triggers Brian and me thinking, okay, that's cool. Keonta had a good season last year. Has has always been a good player. Probably now in a role where, you know, can he excel the most? Very good potential. But we were discussing <coughs> um, earlier today. Who's the backup? And I told this is my theory, and and I'll let Brian you know compound on it after I back up. I think Jr. Walker is the backup. I think Jr. has more defensive back skills, which to me a little bit easier because if you asked a, a a safety to go rush a quarterback, they can go do it. But what I think though is even though he's going to be the backup, I think we're going to see more Kalai Lawson than we see Jr. Walker. Um, and for one reason, I think there's going to be times we know the aggressiveness of Brent's pride. Brett talked about it. We know about it. We've seen it. There's going to be times he just puts Kalai on the field and says, yes, he's coming. Now, and then we were talking about, Brian, you asked you, Brian, if that happens, what are they going to do offensively if you put Kalai Lawson on that side of the field? Uh, you're going to want to dial up something where you get the ball out quick. Um because you want to, and you want to maybe get him split out in space where, uh, if he does have any coverage responsibility, you're you're making him have to um, honor that. Because I, I think while he does have some elite athleticism and a very good straight line speed, and obviously the wingspan is next level, um, I think you want to get him in space as much as possible in the coverage aspect. So if if you're going to have something where, you know, he's not just pinning his ears back, you want to try to take advantage that way. But do you think Pry's going to fit him, put him on the field to do that? Or do you think if he's on the field, those ears are pinned back and you're going to have to make checks, right? You're going to have to move. Yeah, I I think he might, I think Lawson might end up winning that backup job outright. We'll see. Okay. Um, Okay. I think he's got that type of ability. But if there is a weakness at this point, is it's the fact that he's not quite as adept in the coverage aspects of that position, probably as the other two guys that we we've talked about. Absolutely. All right, uh, Will linebacker again. This raised our eyes even more, and kind of the way it seemed is it, it's Alan Tisdale's job right now. But man, is Jaden Keller bearing down because man, he talked about he plays fast. Yeah, yeah, and he, it wasn't just him. Uh, Connor was interviewed right. as, as well, and he, he was talking about how fast he is, like he shot out of a cannon. Um, and, and you like that. That position is going to need to have good instincts um, for what they're what, what type of run support they're going to be bringing and things like that. So um, that's going to be really important. So having a guy like that that's, that's quick, that, you know, can get around tackles, can get underneath, blocks things like that so that that's going to be important for that outside linebacker position that will backer so we'll see if if keller can push for the starting role obviously the the, the story with tisdale is that ability is there inconsistency is the issue um you know pride talked about you know potentially that being leaked to some uh you know fatigue breaking down you know the the mental focus and things like that we'll see if a, a camp under pry uh, rectifies any of that. Um, you know, I talked about earlier, 
camp should be the hardest part of the season. And and, and hopefully hopefully some of that stuff carries over into the season. So so we'll see. But yeah, I, I, I like I like what Keller's doing and we'll see if he can push push Tisdale. And obviously if he does, that's that's better for us because that means we're improved from last year, if nothing else, right? Absolutely. <laughs> and the two deep helps. You're talking about there. There's opportunities there potentially to put them both on the field at the same time, mix and match with you know with Dax with Keyshawn, maybe even occasionally. Hey, we're going to slip one of them over to Sam, just yep. to to. The depth is going to help. Anytime you have multiple players at any position that can play, will help you in the long run. Now. We'll flip one more piece here before we close everything out tonight. They interviewed Jamari Connor, short interview. Um, you know, Jamari handled himself well. But before he got up there, Brent Pry praised him about he saying he probably is the best all-around player on the team from a leadership, from a play perspective, kind of checks all the boxes. And, and, and you love to hear that from a guy that he asked to move from the whip, from the Sam, to go back to free safety. And when you get that sort of praise, it tells you a lot about, you know, Jamari as a person, but then also Jamari as a football player that he's adapted that well to get that sort of praise from Brent Pry. Yeah. And it it talks about his leadership and team first mentality as well. Right. So I think that's big. And, you know, I think, you know, Connor physical traits are great. Um, You know, we, we've, we've talked about in the past, some of his inconsistencies in coverage and sometimes it's inconsistency in making the the sure tackle, right? Yeah. Um, but when he's coming downhill, when he's sure of it, he's going to lay the lumber, man. Yes, he will. He's a, he's a big hitter. He's got good athleticism. Um, so, and I think he's going to be a good leader uh, in the in that back half of the defense. And I think that's another reason that that change is made, right? Because now you've got you know Garbett's kind of the de facto leader of that defensive line. Uh, you got you got Dax there, de facto leader of the linebacker core. Now you've got Connor in the secondary as the as that kind of elder statesman in the room. So you got you got good leadership across each level of the defense, and I think that's important too. All right. Well, Brian, is anything broken in the last hour here since we've uh been talking to Brett from six pick six previews. Nah, I think we're, we're good to go, man. Uh, again, uh, shout out to, to, to Brett Siancia pick six previews for joining us tonight. Um, great information as always. And we, we really appreciate the expertise and the, uh, the, the deep level data analytics being a data guy here, uh, that, that he brings to the table to the sport. So, um, Again, go out and grab his magazine. We we got the yes. digital copy. He's got the hard copy this year. So if you prefer that uh, the, the the feel and touch of paper, turning the pages, grab that too, man. Get it. Like, seriously, this is the second year we got it. We had him on last year. We picked it up. So much info, so much detail sort of drawing you out there. And, you know, when you see the data, you kind of say, okay, if we improve here and here, we can be a much better football team. And you start looking at the opponents, it, it it really gets you down a rabbit hole. 
Yeah. All right, Brian. And the, and the visuals that that ha- that he has the data uh, outline is really what separates his. Yes. Um, you know, aside from the the predictions themselves, is really what separates his magazine from from the others out there. Absolutely. All right. Well, Brian, let's promo one more time. Tuesday night, nine thirty, right here. The Hokie Roundtable of all roundtables. Joining us next Tuesday to discuss everything Hokey, we're going to have Dwight Vick. We're going to have Danny Noakes. We're going to have Don V from Don V Fridays, David Cunningham from TSL, Mike McDaniel from the Hokey Hangover and the Sons of Saturday. And, and also SI. From, and SI. <laughs> I'm sure we could probably go along with Mike because Mike has so many titles. Also, new dad. Congrats, Mike, on that. Shout out. Yeah. Um, and – Last but not least, from the West Coast, from L.A., Grayson Wimbush from the Sons of Saturday will also be joining us. I got everybody, right? Dwight, Danny, Don, the Triple Ds. Jesus Christ, my damn brain is just gone, y'all. <laughs> Hold on, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull it you up. You got it or you want me to get it? <laughs> Don McLaughlin, cheesy peasy, you know, all the offensive linemen. One of our first I, guests here. It was I, coming. It was I, I coming. knew it was in there. I was I was waiting on you. Hey, <laughs> it it's been a long week. It's why I'm not working tomorrow. I, I shut work down today, man. But y'all got to come to this. We are going to ask these guys some great questions. And these guys, I mean, there's a hokey. There's there's so much hokey info and so much opinion in all of them. They're great dudes. I can't wait for the round table and the back and forth, man. And we're just yeah, kind of and, and, and the just the, the perspectives. Obviously, all these guys are in the the Hokie podcast game in one one way, shape, or form. Yep. Um, but the different experiences that they bring to the table, the different perspectives that they bring to the table. Awesome. Um, I, I say it all the time, Hokie Nation. We, we've got one of the best content creation podcast uh, folks out there. And it's it's really awesome that everyone agreed to jump on with us because this is something that's been rolling around in my head, yeah. Uh, since since the early spring, I was like, yes. man, I, I really want to do a roundtable. I want to get everybody or as many as we can, at least one person from, you know, a lot of the major podcasts oh, yeah. out there on air talking preview, you know, talking about what they expect from the season. We obviously got a new coach. There's just so much to kind of roll over and, and things that we can really bounce off each other. I want to I want to push back on each other a little bit. I know that you know not everybody is of the same mind. I appreciate that. Absolutely. I, I really like when uh, when we can get together and you know we talk about it. Iron sharp sharpens iron. I think this is something where everybody can learn a little something, and I think we can provide some some good good content for everybody Absolutely. out there. Yeah, and usually in, in in the Boundary Corner podcast is usually me. I'm talking content to Brian. Brian's challenging me. In this case, when he came to me, I, I challenged you. I challenged you on a couple of things. I pushed back, and then and then finally, about July, we hit that sweet spot. That that that's how we create our content. We talk, and then we we mold, and then we hit this sweet spot. And you know, I look so forward to it, and meeting with those guys right here. So please join us Tuesday night, 930. 
Um, let's try not to go three hours. We have to work the next day. So, <laughs> But, Brian, with that, that wraps up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Visit our website, BoundaryCornerVT.com, to listen to all of our episodes. While you are there, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Subscribe on our YouTube account or your favorite podcast source, including Spotify, Amazon, and Apple Podcasts. As always, we let our buddy Jason Long play us in, play us out. Check his website out, jasonlongmusic.com, where you can link to all of his music on Apple, Spotify, to his YouTube page, and his Facebook page. And that man is going to be working his tail off this weekend. Going to be at Big Big League Brewing Company down in Roanoke with his old bandmate Waylon Hatchet on Friday night, 6.30 to 9.30. Going to be at Outer Space on Saturday. Excuse me. Outer Space, 6 to 9 on Saturday with Aaron Hunter. I think that's the wrong date, Jason. You look that up real quick. I thought Outer Space was Sunday and he was on Floyd Saturday. And Jason, if you're listening, you might need to update because I don't think you can be in two places at once on Saturday night. You can if you want to. Jason's talent. It takes some skill. It takes some skill. Jason's real talented with that. Hold on. Okay, there it is. He will be at Floyd Outer Space with Aaron Hunter on Friday, on Saturday night. On Sunday, they're going to do it at the Food Hut Mark at Golden Cactus Brewing. And Golden Cactus Brewing is in Roanoke. So check out Jason down in the, the uh, New River Valley area. And as always, we thank you for listening. And as always, let's go. Hokies.